Where is your family from? Sometimes it clears up the bigger picture when you know your family's origin. You can gain a better understanding of the here and now if you just start at the beginning. Hey folks, it's Karen G. from the Tower Hill Communications team. Thanks for listening in to our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast gives you inspiration. And we'd love if you share this with someone that you know so that they'll feel inspired too. This is the first episode of our new sermon series called The Story, which covers the Bible chapter by chapter in a continuous story form. So let's listen in right now. In case you didn't know, we're starting the story today, and uh, I'm really excited about this. Those of you who are here with us five years ago when we did it uh, found it to be so, so helpful. And I want to share with you a little bit of the thinking behind it, because what happens is every week we go through a lot of the story. We go through a lot of scripture, and it's really fast-paced. And there's a reason we created small groups around the story, so you would have time to unpack some of this stuff as we go, because it's not going to really have a lot of time to unpack it uh, during the message. But what I want to say, I want to offer a couple of words that could help you, especially as we go into Genesis and go into the creation story, is a couple of things. Um, the first is, I would just say this, understanding the Old Testament is a challenge for a lot of people In fact, a big reason why people don't come to faith or don't come to church is because they have major, major hang-ups with the Old Testament. I mean, pick a story, they have a hang-up about it. And I want to give you a little help in that area. I want to encourage you. I'm a big believer that you don't have to hold your nose to believe in the Old Testament. You don't have to turn off your brain in order to understand how it connects with our part of the story. Uh, my, just so you know where I'm coming at, I have a very orthodox theology, which means I, I fall kind of right in line with what Christianity has taught over the centuries. That being said, it is completely built on Jesus. My, my, the entirety of my theology is built on Jesus. In other words, if Jesus didn't come and he wasn't who he said he was, if he didn't rise again from the dead, then all of this is worthless, in my view. I'm going to go find something else to do with my life. And so knowing that, what do I know is that I look at the Old Testament and I say, look, the Old Testament mattered to Jesus. He was a rabbi. He taught it. He believed that it was essential to understanding who he was. And then moving forward with the New Testament, the whole reason it was written was around the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, written by eyewitnesses and people who were involved in the story. Both of them necessarily go together. And what's amazing to me is that this Bible, this collection of scriptures, 66 books written over about 3,000 years in different languages, different cultures, peasants, kings, all different people, and yet it makes sense together. I challenge you, find any religious philosophy or any other philosophy for that matter with those same criteria and tell me if they line up. They won't. There is a thread that weaves and makes sense of Scripture from creation to recreation. That's what I hope you see as we go through the story together. And today is all about beginnings. It's all about origins. We're going to start with that 
scripture that most Christians have read about 1,400 times because that's where you start when you decide, I'm going to read through the whole Bible. So you've all read, like, the first three chapters of Genesis, like, you're, you're experts already. And then you get to, like, Genesis 20, and you're like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> Maybe next year. Because, you know, you just have a lot of questions, or you don't really understand how it all fits together, and, and you get hung up. Don't allow yourself to get hung up on the hang-ups. Just let it unfold. That's my, that's my advice to you. So people always want to know their origin story. This is probably true now more than ever. Everybody's got to buy the kit and get the, you know, what's my, what's my DNA? Who does it say that I am or ancestry or, you know, where am I from? And people want to know their origin story because it says something about how they live their life now. And there have been a lot of really funny stories that have come from this stuff. I know that uh, my sister has a friend who, I mean, their entire family, the matriarch, prided herself on being Italian. This actually showed they weren't Italian. And you know what she says? I don't care what that science says. We're Italian. (laughs) All right. (laughs) That's silly science. Always getting in the way. (laughs) But everyone wants to know where they're from because it says something about who they are, about how they respond to what's happening in real life. When you know who you are, your purpose becomes more clear to you. You get a little more clarity. So we always want to know where we're from. Just like Captain America. You're not going to watch the Avengers. You're not really going to understand what Captain America's going through until you watch the origin story. You've got to know that, oh man, he was just this weakling, but he had this pure heart, and he was honest, and he was patriotic, and he was... All of these things that you wish him to be so that when he gets to the Avengers, you know his origin story. It brings clarity to all the action that's happening in the present. Well, this is the same with us. It's the same with us spiritually. If we know our origin story, it helps us to live with clarity in the present. And so we begin with Genesis, which means origins. Let me say uh, one thing right off the bat. First, I'm, I'm going to just throw this out there so you know all the cards that I'm holding. I do believe there is evidence that God created the universe. I really do believe that. There is evidence. Um, and I want to point you to a resource that I thought was really, really good. I'm always big on finding new resources. This is by J. Warner Wallace. You probably don't recognize the name, but if you've ever watched one of those like cold case shows on A&E or like homicide shows, it's a little dark, I know, but if you ever watch those shows, he's the expert they call on there to talk. He's an expert in cold cases. He's also a Christian, and he has written an entire resource and series of resources called God's Crime Scene, and he uses the same forensic analysis to determine that God, uh, that there's enough evidence to convict, right? There's enough evidence to support that God created the universe. That being said, If you're looking for the Bible to give you a scientific explanation of how the universe came together, you're going to be disappointed. It simply is not on the Bible's radar. It's actually not what it's intended to do. The Bible isn't primarily concerned with the science behind it. In other words, you don't get a whole story about, like, did God turn quarks into atoms three seconds after the, you know... You don't get the scientific theories. It's, that's not what it's for. It's not try, I mean, how long would that volume be? By, talk about not getting through Genesis. Imagine if we got all the science. Right? That's not what it's intended to do. 
Genesis, like the rest of the Bible, is about relationships. It says something very theologically important about our relationship with God, God's relationship with us, and our relationship with one another, our relationship with creation, all of that. It tells that kind of story. So if you put the burden of science on the Old Testament, the Old Testament is probably going to fail. Not because it's wrong, it's just not intended to do that. I feel like I might get an email on that one. Just hang with me. (laughs) I think really the point is, creation is not an impersonal accident. It's the creative purpose of a personal God. It didn't just happen, we believe. believe God made it happen. And creation is not just concerned with what happened, but why it happened. And I think this will help you as you navigate understanding Genesis. So let's get into it. Chapter 1, verse 1. I mean, listen, man, we are starting at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. There's something amazing happening here. Um, Obviously, not just reality happens. But there's something theologically amazing that's happening in the first three verses. And and I just want to point them out because I think they're worth noting. Let's begin by saying what are some things that are worth noting right off the bat. The first is God did it, right? In the beginning, God did it. The second, this is interesting, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters... And so in those first two verses, we're already getting two out of three in the Trinity. Already. Trinity wasn't a theological idea until much after the New Testament. But you see why it became an idea, because it's woven throughout the Scripture. Really, right from the beginning. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Spirit hovering over the waters. And then, when God says, let there be light, there's a really, really important theological idea happening there that... There is power in God's word to create life. God speaks it. He speaks life. He's the only one who is the author of life. And what's really cool, this is, like, this is sort of like a, uh, a pastor's nerd out moment. But when he says, let there be light, and the power of his word creates life, what was Jesus, who was Jesus known as? The word made flesh. He is life made flesh, and that means in those three verses, you're getting the Trinity. In the very beginning of the creation story, you're already seeing the Trinity. I I don't know. I I just think that's cool. (laughs) All right. So so God does his creating, days two through six, um, and he's, he's creating all the things, and day six, he gets to us, and this is verse 26. Again, we're gonna go real fast through Genesis. Then God said, let us make mankind in our, in our image. Now, you ever wonder why he says us? Remember what I just told you. It, it's three. Three and one. Let, I, th- I think that's why. It's not just a royal we. He didn't just have a mouse in his pocket. and you know, like he, <laughs> Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let's notice that right there. We are the only part of creation that was set apart and special in this way. We are the ones made in the image of God. We carry God's DNA, if you will. There's something residual about God that shows up in us. We're different. We're a special creation. Not, I mean, all creation special on one level, but we were another level. We were the ones made in his image. And that's very, again, theologically important. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. But here's, here's what's interesting. Is that we get, in the next chapter, a little more detail on God's creative process. This is Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed a man, and uh, in the Hebrew, a man... Uh, is translated Adamah, and so that's why he became known as Adam. Uh, a man is Adamah, became Adam. From the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I love this. I love this moment. It's God getting his hands dirty. He's not God at a distance. He's God forming us like an artist, forming us from the dust of the ground, something that was we would consider worthless, is given incredible value. And this is, this is something, it's not just physically, but spiritually, right? He's breathing into us the breath of life. Love this moment. Did you ever wonder, though, why there are two versions of creation in two chapters? So here, then Adam is formed, and then Eve is formed out of Adam, but in chapter 1, male and female, he created them. This is a little different. And if you were to ask that question in Sunday school, somebody might say, no, 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 it's not different. It just goes together. I think, I'm not afraid of those, these kinds of questions. I hope you're not either. I think we need to talk about them. Like, okay, well, what's up with that? Why does it give us like a little different scenario here? Does it go together? I think it does. But... I think it points out something, and this is going to help you as you go through the story as well. Scripture, I think we have to understand how to understand it, how to read it. Here's what I believe. I believe Scripture is the 100% rule, um, word of God, and it dictates everything about what it means to have life and faith and forgiveness in him. Uh, there's nothing that I would omit. There's some things I still don't really understand. But it is the word of God. Also, though, it's not like God possessed somebody to write it. Right? God. It's also a human reality written by people. And I think what you see in the Bible is this tension between real human beings writing what has been inspired by God. By the way, that word inspired comes from to be breathed into. I think just like Jesus is both divine and human, Scripture is divine and human. 
I don't, I, not, I don't mean that I think it's got sin in it. But I think it, it is a collaboration. For whatever reason, God chooses to act through us. And I'm just like, God, we're not very good at this. But you seem to want it this way. I don't know why. Maybe it's because we'll have ownership over it. Maybe because we'll understand it. It'll be in our language. But for whatever the reason, it's both. And yeah, there are some things in here that don't exactly line up perfectly. But that's why I think it's true. I think it's those little differences that show this is real. If this were a made-up story, there would be no loose ends. I think it shows the reality of God speaking to real people in real time and weaving it all together. And yeah, so I think in creation, in the creation narrative, we see some of that because it's just a little bit different, but equally important for us. All right, big idea, I know. So let's keep going. We are breathed into beings and we have a purpose. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Again, I think this, there's a big piece of theology here that says our desire to work is God-given. Why is that important? Because I know some of you think, I don't know what my work has to do with my faith. I feel like it doesn't have a lot to do with my faith. That like I live my faith and then I go to work and I come back and I live my faith again. What this would suggest though is that your work is something that is in your DNA. It's part of how you were designed. So your work is something God wants to use to cultivate his garden. He wants you to cultivate what he has planted through your work. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Oh, and it was going so well. <laughs> and he had to give us a choice. Dang it. <laughs> and this choice, again, theologically, not just literally, but also theologically, this choice is very important to understand. Because what was promised by the serpent to Adam and Eve in the garden was this, was if you eat from this, you're gonna know everything that God knows. What it really was, was saying, I wanna be God. I won't need God if I know what God knows. Which is kind of our fundamental inclination. Thanks God, I got it from here. So what do we know so far? Let's just quickly review. Okay, God did it. We are his special creation. We're the only ones made in his image and breathed into. We are his inspired creation. We are to cultivate God's creation. That's part of our work. And we are given free will. And this is the one that just kills us, right? We're like, why? Why'd you do that? Well, apparently he had already created lemmings. He didn't want more. He wanted us, made in his image, to be like him. We have a choice, just like he does. We're made in his image. He wanted us to say yes to what he has for us, 
not be forced into it. It's like with your kids, right? You want them to choose to love you, not just be forced into loving you. I guess it depends on the day, right? Because it doesn't really mean anything unless it's a choice. So we have the big story, Adam and Eve. This is what we're all waiting for. Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden. And how did they choose? They chose poorly. (laughs) They chose poorly. Sin broke the relationship between God and humans. So in this moment, sin comes in and it's a crack in the foundation. Actually worse, it creates a chasm. So if we're created to be face-to-face with God, then we chose to break that one command that he had, and sin enters the world, it like reorients us into this position. We turn our backs on God. And now this is our fundamental position. It's like, if we're looking at our genes, at our DNA, we are created in the image of God, we are breathed into, but also then in this moment, we acquire a genetic mutation. We have sin that has now entered the equation that God didn't put there, but we put upon ourselves, and it's 100% fatal. It's a virus that is 100%, has a 100% mortality rate. And the rest of scripture is God finding a way to remove that, to recreate us into the people he wants us to be. Because there are consequences. Humanity has been damaged by sin and produces more sin-damaged humans. And then we get to another big kind of moment or milestone. And this is the one that, this is one of the stories that kind of gets you like, what? How how do I, how do I make sense of this? How How do I get my faith around this story? And that's the story of Noah and the flood. So some generations go by. Humanity is a big mess. Chapter six, verse five. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. Now listen. Big stuff in here to think about. I have lots of questions when I read this. First of all, did sin take God by surprise? If that's true, he's not all-knowing. What kind of God would wipe out everybody? Like, these are real questions, and I think we just have to own the questions. But again, I want to encourage you. Think about the lessons here theologically first. What's the point that, is tr- that God is trying to make so that you understand Jesus better? Don't get hung up on the hang-ups just yet. Just watch how it unfolds. That's my encouragement to you. Don't turn off your brain. Just bracket this question for later. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So already we're seeing the mercy of God in that he didn't quite completely and everything, even though 
he may have had every right to. So what was the theological reason for the flood, right? What was the reason? To show the seriousness of sin. The sin problem had become so big, and it has catastrophic consequences. God had to punish sin. This is a really big and important idea. And I think in our, you know, today's culture, we're like, no, no, you know, that's kind of harsh. Judgy much, God? Like, we, can't you just let it slide? Like, yeah, I'm a mess, you're a mess, like, we, can't we just let it slide? Well, okay, as much as we would all love that, although I don't know that we would, but let's say we would all love that, here's the problem with that. How do you say God is good if he doesn't punish sin? How do you say God is just if he doesn't punish sin? You can't say either of those things if he does not punish sin. If you, and you raise your kids and you never punish them for doing anything wrong, how could you call yourself a good parent? can't. In order to have justice, you have to have judgment. Or justice doesn't work. It all breaks down. He had to show us how bad sin is. It's such a deep-rooted problem, it's in our DNA. It's got to get corrected. It can't get wished away. We can't fix it ourselves. It's a big, big spiritual problem. And then it's cool on the other side of then, you know, Noah building the ark and then that really cool story of, you know, just all the animals. And I love when kids start asking questions about that. It's like, did the lions get, like, get hungry? And like, were there four weasels and, you know, only two made it? And I don't know. Like, I love the questions that come from that. But what I think is really important then is watch what God says to Noah in nine, chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. It's like a, he's doubling down on his original blessing for humanity. He's saying even though everything, even though you guys pretty much messed everything up, I'm not done with you yet. In fact, he says that in verse 11. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. God punishes sin, but he shows mercy. He punishes sin, but here's, here's the crazy part, and this is why, again, I come back to Jesus. It was not anything he wasn't willing to go through himself. He didn't just punish sin. He allowed himself to take the punishment for sin that he didn't deserve so that we all can live. I think in understanding how bad the sin problem is, we understand how big God's grace is. That's why this origin story is so important for us. I also think God's dropping some clues on salvation, on Jesus. A couple of things he says. First, after Adam and Eve sinned, they covered themselves with fig leaves, because of their shame. But God removed the fig leaves and covered them with animal skins when they left the Garden of Eden. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, interestingly, later, there would be an understanding about how sin is forgiven through the shedding of blood. Now, 
we'll talk about that. Like, oh my gosh, that's so horrific. But we'll talk about why it was like that in that culture. But it was, the sac- it was um, sacrificial atonement. So he'd sacrifice animals on behalf of people. The animal skins is a sign that forgiveness is coming. I'm going to cover your shame with a way to forgiveness. And then the other piece that I love is that creation is possible by the word of God and Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. And the very first thing that is spoken into light, into life is light. And who is Jesus known as the light of the world? The word of God. Our origin story gives us meaning. It helps us understand who we are and where we're from and what God did for us so that it brings clarity to our purpose here in the present. Origin stories help us to understand who we are and where we're going. But what does it mean for you? That, this is really where this matters. I mean, we could hear all this and be like, oh, interesting. But what does it really mean for you? Here's what I think. I don't think, for most of you, I don't think I need to convince you that sin's a real problem. I think we all just intuitively get that. Here's the piece that I find people struggle with the most. It's the fact that you are made in the image of God. You are God's special, breathed into, inspired creation. You are more valuable and treasured than you will ever know. God thinks despite all the sin problem, you are worth saving. For some of you, you've struggled your whole life to believe that. Just feel like you're never good enough. You don't deserve it. I'm here to tell you what I learned from Scripture is God saying, no, you're worth saving. You are made in my image. You are my special creation. I love you forever, no matter what. And I will do everything I can to make a way to take care of this sin problem so that you could be the person that I've created you to be. You could be set free to live and to flourish in this life and the life to come. This is the first chapter of your story. Amen.